How does Cowboys owner Jerry Jones handle another bitter playoff defeat yesterday versus the Packers at home? I'll tell you what I would do if I were him. Two-thirds of this Super Wildcard weekend is in the books as I'll recap the rise of C.J. Stroud. Are the Chiefs ready to defend their title and a celebration in Detroit that hasn't been seen in decades? Both the NBA and NHL are just about or past the halfway point of the season. Is anyone really paying attention? What about college basketball as conference play has begun? Pitchers and catchers are a month away in Major League Baseball, but still no signs of any of the big free agents inking new deals. And the Australian Open has commenced as the tennis year has begun down under with one big name already ousted in the tournament. Glad you've stopped by on this MLK Day as I bring you up to speed on everything going on in sports. It's all coming up. But first, this message. J Reels here to spend a brief moment and share a friendly reminder to please subscribe, rate, review the podcast on whichever platform you listen to on the regular. Just so we can increase the visibility of the J Reels podcast to those who aren't familiar with it. Leave plenty of stars, write a favorable review. It will go a long way for the curious listener looking to hop on board to get a dose of entertaining and passionate sports talk. For the visually inclined, please subscribe to my YouTube channel at J Reels as I post daily shorts and weekly vlogs, not only delving into the world of sports, but follow me on my journey to take the podcast and channel to new heights as I provide an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for yours truly to produce content on a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out basis. It goes without saying how much I truly appreciate all of your support. And without further ado, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I got to call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Here on this holiday Monday, honoring the late, great Dr. Martin Luther King, I share with you all of what is happening in our favorite little toy department of life called sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And although we have a lot to unpack here when it comes to the world of sports, but it's weird. Obviously, the NFL is going to take precedence and swallow up everything when it comes to the next hour here on this podcast, but even with all the little things that are going on, whether it is the NBA, NHL, Australian Open, as that's begun over the weekend... And Major League Baseball just a month away from pitchers and catchers. Can you believe that? But the NFL, after what was another not-so-super wildcard weekend, and I get it, we're only two-thirds of the way in because we have two games today, one at 4.30, the postponement from yesterday at 1 p.m. between the Steelers and Bills because of a blizzard shocker in Buffalo this time of year where they got anywhere between, what, one to three feet, I believe, and there was a travel advisory because of what... 
the governor put out there on Friday night. So no travel in the city of Buffalo. I believe the Steelers must have gotten there yesterday. And for this game now to be played at 4.30, which gives the Steelers an extra day to prepare. Nine days between their last game and this one. So we'll see what happens. And I talked about that on Thursday's podcast with my little preview. Don't need to go through that again. But when we take a look at what transpired here over the last 48 hours, one more time, not so super. I know you had the one good game there last night in Detroit. You have a very juicy storyline, which I'll get into in a moment. And then the Chiefs, are they primed for another Super Bowl run? To me, that's what I get out. And yeah, C.J. Stroud, and you could even talk about the Brown defense going on an early vacation. But so far, with the way the quote-unquote Super Wildcard weekend has gone since its inception back in 2020, it has fallen flat on their face. There's no other way to cut it, no other way to slice it. Not to say that every game has to be tooth and nail or a nail-biter, white-knuckler type of game where you're going to have high drama, high theater, etc. All right, I get that. Not every NFL game produced this time of year, especially in the opening round, is going to have that. But boy, can we have a little bit more than what we've seen here over the course of the first four games? And let's see what's going to happen here this afternoon and then this evening in Tampa where the Eagles and Buccaneers will battle it out to close out this long version of what we would deem it being a wildcard weekend. But the first storyline and the juiciest one of all is what happened in Dallas yesterday. And I know if you're my cousin JD, who has to be beyond sick, has to be despondent, what more else could be said? He's a lifelong Cowboy fan, my former radio partner and obviously Blood. And as you watch this game unfold and you see how the Packers were able to just run the ball down the throats of the Cowboy defense, which you can do... We understand that they're stout defensively when it comes to attacking the quarterback, when it comes to defending the pass, but when you have Aaron Jones just running all over the field to the tune of three touchdowns, and Jordan Love, who I'm sure Coach Matt LaFleur wants to have Jordan Love throw anywhere between 20 to 25 times a game and let the run game take over, because if you're going to have that recipe, even with them going to San Francisco next week, and that's going to be a tall order, But for the Packers to execute that game plan and pretty much show the Cowboys their biggest flaw there on defense and for them to jump out to not only a 7-0 lead, 14-0, but let's face it, that should have been a 27-0 halftime lead because if it wasn't for the penalty there, when the Cowboys, they would have kicked a field goal, I understand, but they had the illegal face to the, the call that was made there by the referee, hands to the face, or legal contact there where the Cowboys had extra life and they were able to get the touchdown right before the half to make it 27-7. And for them to go into the fourth quarter, deep into the fourth quarter, down by 32 points is just an absolute abomination, inexplicable, inexcusable on so many fronts to where the talk of the nation this morning and I'm sure in the days to come is whether or not the coach, Mike McCarthy, should be jettisoned out of Dallas. Because what you saw there yesterday, for a team that had won 16 straight home games, dominated throughout this regular season, just beating everybody and leaving in their wake, to the tune of how many points a game did they average in their building this year? We know that the Cowboy offense on that track, in that building, have been unbeatable. And for them to be beaten pretty much from start to finish. Where they were down by 27 and by 32 points. 
in the fourth quarter at home. And I don't want to hear the pie-in-the-sky Cowboy fan to say, well, at least we fought, at least we came back. Dak's numbers look great. Uh-uh, I don't want to hear that. Dak's numbers look great because they had to pass pretty much from the end of the first half all the way through the rest of the game. And by then, the damage was already done. The two interceptions that he threw, one deep in his territory, where great play by Jair Alexander, but that was a throw he should not have made. And then the second one was just one you want to pull your hair out of your head if you're a Cowboy fan. Because I could have picked six, telegraphed that, and walked it all the way home, Darnell Savage, which pretty much iced the game at that point. Because you knew as the Cowboys were driving there 20-0, they needed to score a touchdown there to not only feel good, but to also get some momentum going into the second half, and all the air went out of the balloon after that play. And to me, that was the biggest play of the game. We could talk about the early interception, as I mentioned. We could talk about how the Packers were machined there in that first half. The Cowboys could not get untracked offensively. And sorry to say, this has to fall on the head coach. Because how can you be so good so dominant at home to where you have a, not going to say a cakewalk by any stretch, but you have two games in your building at worst to get to a NFC Championship game, which in all likelihood would have been against the 49ers. So not to say that the red carpet was out, but let's just say maybe the blue and silver carpet, at least to San Francisco, was already set out for you. And what happened? You put up an absolute clunker at the worst time. And for that team to not be prepared, for that team to not be focused, for that team to pretty much be tight from the start, because you knew, all right, 7 nothing, that's fine. But when they were down 14 nothing, that team couldn't muster up an inch. Now, yes, they were able to move the ball. I get that. But Dak Prescott was awful. He even admitted that in the postgame afterwards. Jerry Jones, I understand he's going to take the high road. And it's weird, when you look at an owner such as Jerry Jones, not to say that everybody has to be George Steinbrenner-esque, but considering how much power he has, considering that his franchise is the most wealthiest franchise on the face of the planet, and I guess maybe there are some soccer teams overseas that are bigger than the Cowboys as far as what their worth is concerned, but nobody is bigger than the star, nobody is bigger than Jerry Jones when it comes to all the major sports here in North America. And for him to not have that iron fist, which I guess maybe it's a good thing to a certain degree, but because he has his fingerprints and his tentacles on everything, owner, president, GM, concession stands, marketing director, he has it all. It's time for him to take a step back and maybe his son Stephen and the family could get together pretty much right as I speak to say, Dad. We understand that Mike McCarthy was 36-15 and 15 over the last three years in the regular season. 12-5 and five in each of those three years. Three playoff appearances. Two division titles. But they only have one playoff win to show. If you're the Cowboys, it's not about playoff wins. It's not about NFC East Championships. It's about Super Bowls. And the team has not seen the Super Bowl now in 28 years and counting. They have not seen an NFC Championship game the same year that they went to the Super Bowl. And with all the coaches that are out there right now, as we've seen just over the past week, whether your name is Bill Belichick, whether your name is even Pete Carroll, two guys that obviously have a lot of success of recent vintage in the NFL. Maybe if I were Jerry Jones, it's time to place a phone call to each of their two representatives to see whether or not they'd be interested in 
wanting to coach this Dallas Cowboy team to prominence, to excellence, to where it belongs there when it comes to the cornerstone franchise in the sport. Now, I don't know if they're going to accept whether your name is Bill Belichick or Pete Carroll, but Mike McCarthy, this experiment has gone up in smoke. And I don't want to hear any excuses from anybody from the top all the way down because this team should have won this game yesterday. Now, obviously, they were not the better team, and I'm not going to say that they should have won because obviously they played pathetically. But we all know that this was a game that the Cowboys, not to say it was going to be a rocking chair game, we knew it was going to be competitive with Jordan Love, and he started to ascend here, not to say he's one of the top 10 quarterbacks by any stretch, but for all the questions that may have been wondered whether it was in Green Bay or throughout the NFL community to think whether or not Jordan Love was going to be the answer after Aaron Rodgers left to New York to be a Jet quarterback. Maybe the jury is now out that this could be the guy that's going to lead him here for the next 10 to 15 years. And if that's the case, could you imagine from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to now Jordan Love, where you may have 45 years of just three quarterbacks under center, where sometimes it takes 45 quarterbacks just to get the right one, whether you're in, let's say, East Rutherford when it comes to the Jets. How ironic is that? But if I were Jerry Jones, and I get it, all the attention and the spotlight is on him, I would have woken up this morning, had my oatmeal with maybe a little hot chocolate, and press conference at 2 o'clock today, I would have already spoken to Mike McCarthy to say, Mike, thank you for everything. I know you had a big year. I know you took helm of the offense after we let go of Kellen Moore, but it's about Super Bowls here, and this is unacceptable, and I'm sorry this team did not come out of the gate flying, prepared, ready to go, and I need a new face in here and a new voice, and I understand that may not be popular in that locker room, but so what? If this team would have even won this round and gone to a divisional round and let's say would have lost at home to Detroit, as we all know they won and they would have gone to Dallas, But for the Cowboys, their fans, organization, etc., if they would have lost next week, would you have dealt with it? You would have had to, but at least you would have won a round and had that other game at home. Mind you, you just beat this Detroit team just a few weeks ago, and we all know they should have lost on that Saturday night before New Year's Eve. But maybe you would have dealt with it a lot better than losing in this round where you pretty much had no shot once that interception was returned for a touchdown at 27-0, the game was over. A lot to unpack here with this game, a lot to unpack here with this situation, this circumstance, and again, if I'm Jerry Jones, he's out, he's gone, goodbye. And would I call Bill Belichick or Pete Carroll? Listen, I'll put out feelers, I'll see what's going on. Why not? You want to win Super Bowls. It's not about division titles, it's not about getting to a championship game. The team has not seen a championship game going on three decades. So I'm just going to leave it right there. Got to move on to other things. But the Cowboys and their fans and to JD, my guy, I know uh, the pit at the bottom of your stomach is probably as bad and the taste to try to get this out of your mouth. You're going to have to wait until this time next year to see how far this team's going to go. Because they could have a, another 12-5 and season. They could have another 8-0 or next year they'll have nine home games. They can go 9-0 at home and dominate, but we all know that everybody's going to be on pins and needles whoever wears the star, whether it's on the helmet or on their chest, on whether or not this team's going to go far and make a Super Bowl run.
Now, who would have thought that the other team in Texas would have advanced and moved on, considering that a few weeks prior, the Cleveland Browns went in there, and mind you, there was no C.J. Stroud at that time, but with the Ballyhooed Brown defense, and for them riding high into the postseason, 12-5, and sound similar there, Cowboy fans? And what you saw there on Saturday afternoon into the evening, after the Browns go up to a 14-10 lead, and then, of course, the... Texans then take the lead, but then they never look back from there as they outscored the Browns 35-0 from 14-10 where he had two pick sixes back-to-back and the first one was inexplicable. I get it that Joe Flacco was just trying to throw the ball away. He did not want to take a sack there, but that was a rookie mistake that we have seen many times, not from a guy who's been in the league going back to 2008. Returned for a touchdown and that was just a catalyst for the floodgates to get open because at that point it was... 24-14, and the next thing you know, pick six there, another pick six right after that, 38-14, turn your sets off, the game is over, C.J. Stroud, three touchdowns in his first game ever into the postseason, NFL record, D'Amico Ryans flying high, and the Browns, another bitter disappointment. And it just makes you think that if you're by the lake, there in Northeast Ohio, And I can't say the Lions too because the Lions, we understand that they've had some terrible luck as well. But guess what? Even the Browns won a playoff game here just a few years ago when they went to Pittsburgh and won that wild game there at Heinz Field at the time. The Lions were due to win a playoff game and I'll get to them in a second. But the Browns, Kevin Stefanski, I get it. Should be coach of the year, had four quarterbacks, etc. But that was just an unraveling by their defense And I get it, it wasn't all on them because those two pick sixes were huge in the game, turned it all around, and the Browns were not to be heard from the rest of the way. But the Texans, are they a dangerous team at this point? Now who knows, they may go to Kansas City or Baltimore, we're going to have to wait and see what's going to happen with this game at 4.30 between the Steelers and Bills, but they're a live dog here. Now, they won their playoff game, they won it in their building, I can't expect them to do a lot more Will they have to go to Baltimore, where they lost in the first week of the season, if you remember, or have to go to Kansas City, where they have not played the Chiefs this year, but the last time they were in the postseason, they lost at Arrowhead, where they had a 24-0 lead, if you remember, with Deshaun Watson, and then the Chiefs rolled from there to put up 51 points on that defense. And some questionable decision-making by Bill O'Brien, who was the coach at the time. But give it up for the Texans. They're a team that's definitely on the come up for years to come. But I'm sure by me saying that, if the coach and the quarterback were in front of me, it's like, what do you mean for years to come? We're right about now. And let's see what they could do this coming weekend, depending on who they're going to play. And we'll talk more about that on Thursday. And then Saturday night, the Chiefs, that was a game where you think about it, they could have and should have won 45-7. Drop passes. Touchdowns called back by penalties. Just a game where the Chiefs may not have been clicking on all cylinders, but clicking enough to the point where they could have run up the score if it wasn't for, I understand the cold weather, the fourth coldest game in NFL history. The only three games ahead of that were the Ice Bowl, 67 Packers-Cowboys, the Freezer Bowl, the 81 AFC Championship game, Chargers-Bengals, and then the wildcard game a few years ago between Seattle and Minnesota. In the outdoor stadium, University of Minnesota, if you remember, Bud Grant with the short sleeves, may he rest in peace. But for the Chiefs, who, with all their mistakes, and their defense, stout, I get it that the Dolphin offense, cold weather or not, 
they were trending south considering the way they've been playing over the last few weeks. And for the Chiefs, you have to wonder whether or not, and wouldn't this be something if the football gods really want to be cruel? Imagine if the Steelers upset the Bills later this afternoon or depending on when you're listening to this. The Chiefs will be able to host a home game at that point because then Pittsburgh will go to Baltimore, which would be just fascinating theater. The two division rivals going at it. But then the Chiefs would actually host the Texans there on Saturday afternoon. And remember, the Chiefs have not had a playoff road game since the Andy Reid-Patrick Mahomes era had begun five, six years ago. So wouldn't that be something if the Steelers were to somehow, some way, come out victorious and upset the Bills to where the Chiefs would still have another home game before maybe having to go on the road to Baltimore? And could you imagine if they win against Houston and Pittsburgh pulls off the upset of upsets, which would be otherworldly for yours truly, but then have it to where the road to the Super Bowl and the AFC goes through Kansas City? Now, I understand way too much football to be played down the road, so I can't get crazy. But we do know that right this very second that the Chiefs do have a game next week, whether it's in Buffalo, late Sunday, or home against the Texans. But now you have to wonder whether or not that the Chiefs have enough gas in their tank to maybe have another Super Bowl run, even if it is not going to be in the friendly confines of Arrowhead. They play great defense. The Dolphins, other than the one big play that they had to Tyree kill, they did nothing offensively. They couldn't run the ball. Raheem Mostert was a shell of his old self, and I understand he's nursing some injuries, but with the cold, and that's not conducive to that type of offense, to them playing in those conditions. What was it? Four below zero with a wind chill in the 20s at the start of the game, and of course it got colder as the game progressed. And for the Dolphins, another bitter season. There's no other way to slice it. They haven't won a playoff game in forever. We talked about the Lions, and I'll get to them next. They haven't won a playoff game in three decades. I think they're next up in the NFL as a team that has not won a playoff game in forever. Like I mentioned, the Browns have won a playoff game before the Dolphins have. I mean, think about that. The Dolphins haven't won since 2000. I guess, what was that, against the Colts when they had that touchdown. Was it Lamar Thomas? And that was the last time that they were even seen to win a playoff game. And then the next week, they got waxed in Jacksonville 62-7, which was Dan Marino's final NFL game. But for the Chiefs, it's all about them right now. The Dolphins, again, for all of their scoring and all of their early season success, they just went out to sea like Dolphins and couldn't find their way back to their winning ways. And a lot to be answered there if you're a Dolphin fan. I'm sorry. Something's missing with that team. I get it. They had a ton of injuries going back to, you know, their whole defense was depleted. Jalen Phillips, Bradley Chubb, Xavier Howard, etc. I get it. But that is still a tough way to lose considering that the Chiefs were doing every opportunity or giving every opportunity for the Dolphins to stay in the game and at least make it competitive. And even when they tried to do that, the Dolphins said, nah, we're good. We just want to get into some warmth, get in the plane, go back home, and we'll assess at that point on. And to think, 23 million watched that game on Peacock. Which they try to make it out all the most... Highest streamed event ever by Peacock, blah, blah, blah. Of course, it's the NFL. They're bulletproof. There's no appointment television anymore. So for Peacock and NBC to glorify how this is the most, this is the biggest streamed event in the history of TV, of course it's going to be. Why? It's the NFL. 
You could have the Oscars. You could have the Grammys. You could have the Golden Globes wrapped up in one and they still wouldn't be able to beat the NFL. Sorry. Would not. Or anything. Game of Thrones, Sopranos. You could put any TV show up against the NFL. It is going to get annihilated. And that's what happens when greed... uh, Let me not go down that road. Let's get to last night in Detroit, which was festive, which was celebratory. And I'm sorry, you could be any fan of any team, but that was a sight to behold there as the Rams hung on for dear life at the end. And give it up to what Jared Goff did, executed the big play there on third down right after the two-minute warning to Amon Ross St. Brown. Gutsy call, as Chris Collinsworth said. And even when that passed, when they went back and they went for the sticks, they said, "Uh uh-uh, we don't want to be cute and just go for a screen or just go for a simple out pattern. They were going for that first down. And I believe that was second down at the time. So it wasn't a third and long. But gutsy as that was, they got the first down. They were able to take three knees and go home. And that was a very competitive game. Obviously the best game of the weekend when you look at it from a standpoint that at least it went down to the wire. Because let's say if the Lions were to have to punt there, even though the Rams had no timeouts, But that would have been great theater with Stafford back in his old building against his old team. We know about the storyline with Jared Goff being traded by Sean McVay. And the trade has worked out for everybody. Rams won their Super Bowl. And now the Lions in their first trip to the playoffs in forever won their game in their building. And because of what happened in Dallas earlier that day, guess what? They're going to host a playoff game next week, which is good for them. And for the Lions to have this opportunity. And this is an organization, you talk about long-suffering. When you see the crowd crying and you see tears running down. And listen, I applaud that. They have not seen a playoff victory in forever. A lot of these kids, young adults, etc. So for those who want to laugh, oh, look at this guy crying, whatever. Listen, you're a Lion fan. You've had... Barely any success in this league since the 50s when they won NFL championships. They have not seen a championship game since 1991 and haven't seen a playoff victory since that same year. Jared Goff, 22 of 27, was fantastic. Amon Ross St. Brown, the same. David Montgomery contributed. Aiden Hutchinson was a beast. He's going to be a future NFL Defensive Player of the Year. And that's the key. When you have a guy that's a game wrecker on defense, that's going to be crucial as far as the Lions are going to go here in this postseason. And we'll have to wait and see who they're going to play here because chances are it's either going to be Philadelphia or Tampa because we do know that Green Bay is going to go to San Francisco. So I'm sure if you're the Lions and their fans, you're rooting for Tampa to win because you do not want to face Philly You figure Philly gets a win under their belt, even without A.J. Brown, who's not going to be in the lineup tonight. He's out with that knee injury that he suffered against the Giants last week. But I'm sure you'd rather see Tampa than have to deal with the Eagles and the specter of them coming into your building with a chance of having some momentum going into that building and maybe having an opportunity to come out of Detroit where they could go to San Francisco to play an NFC Championship. But I'm happy for the Lion fan bask in it I understand they're going to read all the press clippings this week I get it that Dan Campbell's going to be flying high and he has to keep his team at an even keel only because 
we know that them being at home next week, there's no guarantee that they're going to go off to San Francisco for an NFC title game. Or dare I even say, maybe even host the Packers for a third showdown this year in an NFC title game. Now, getting way ahead of myself, I don't expect that to happen. Stranger things have happened, as we saw there yesterday in Dallas. But still, with what took place there last night, just a sight to behold. Very good game. I understand that it was 21-17 at the half. Great by the line defense that they did not break after just giving up the two field goals there in the second half. And they were able to stop the lines there a couple of times. Now, one thing I will say is that the referees swallowed their whistle there in that second half. When it comes to roughing the quarterback, there was that one play where I believe at 24-20 when they kicked the field goal to make it 24-23, there should have been a rough in the passer there on Matthew Stafford. That was a Malachi crunch for those who watch Happy Days as I'm dating myself here. Where Stafford got hit one time and maybe they could have gotten away with that, but then the other player came from the left and rung the bell of Stafford to where he was on the turf and he looked glazed there. But that could have been a rough in the passer and that should have been warranted there where we understand roughing the passers sometimes a little ticky-tack or you breathe on the quarterback. It's like, oh, are you serious? They should have called that there. There was another play late in the game, I believe on that third and 14 where Puka Nakua, defenseless receiver, I understand it was bang-bang. You had a few players converge there at the same time, but it's quite possible you could have thrown a flag there for a defenseless receiver. So the refs swallowed their whistles there in that moment. Maybe got the home call there for the Lions, who knows, but still... The Lions, they were able to eke out a win and now get to live to see another day as they're going to host next week either against the Buccaneers or the Eagles. And that's what you have. As far as the games today, as I talked about, in a quick nutshell, I think the Eagles will win tonight. Who knows, maybe they'll make it harder on themselves considering that they have some injuries, whether having not having A.J. Brown and especially with Jalen Hurts with that finger that he's nursing that he also hurt in the game against the Giants. So I would think the Eagles will prevail here. Maybe it'll be close, who knows. Remember the Eagles beat Tampa there on a Monday night earlier this year, I believe week three. And then Pittsburgh-Buffalo, not a rematch this year. To me, which Josh Allen is going to show up? Is he going to be the guy that's going to throw four touchdowns, throw for over 300 yards and bury the Steelers? Or is he going to be a guy that's going to keep the Steelers in the game by a couple of fumbles, throwing a couple of interceptions, where maybe the Steelers or within striking distance, or there's a one-possession game in the fourth quarter where maybe the Steelers end up winning on a field goal. Who knows? I see it being more the former, or maybe a mix of him being a little bit tight, some turnovers, etc., but the Bills will prevail. But we shall see. 4.30 and 8.15, two games today. Looking forward to it here on this Martin Luther King Day as we close out the opening weekend of the NFL postseason. All right, now let me turn my attention to the association and the ice. This is going to be a two-pronged attack as I get my high tops as well as the skates and stick to go through the fall and winter sports. And the reason why I'm taking this approach is because are there people, the good sports fan, diehard sports fan, casual sports fan, doesn't matter. Is anybody really paying attention to what's going on here? especially since the start of the year. And I get it two weeks ago today, we had the Winter Classic there between the Golden Knights and the Kraken. And that's an event that the hockey fan looks forward to. Maybe even the sports fan for that matter because it is outdoors. The setting is fantastic, even if it is between two teams that have been graced into the league over the last five, six, seven years. But for me, as I was trying to assess what's going on here between both sports, 
It's almost as if they're an afterthought. And I kind of hate to say it in that way, and I'm not trying to all of a sudden shirk my responsibilities to not talk about NBA or the National Hockey League by any stretch, but you have to admit, it's almost as if these sports, yeah, they've been in the background of our lives. Yes, if you want to watch a game, let's say now on a Tuesday night or even a Thursday night because we don't have Thursday night football anymore, obviously, and for us to kind of see what the lay of the land is when it comes to what we could watch. And we can even throw in college basketball, which I'll touch on a little bit later. But for these two sports, which not to say it's going to carry us through till spring training to baseball, and especially once we get to April, but you would think there'd be a little bit of juice. You'd think there'd be a little bit of some momentum here because... With the NFL, that's going to carry us here through the course of the next three weeks into the Super Bowl. And I get it that the NFL is just a Saturday-Sunday thing, Sands this week. But we know that anything off the field, especially now what's going to possibly go on in Dallas here, which will be a soap opera unlike any other, that's going to push us through the rest of this month and into February. But you would think sprinkled in... We get a feeling more of the NBA, what's going on there, whether it is Victor Wimbanyama, who did get a triple-double last week. I didn't report that on the podcast, his first ever. And now is actually being moved to the five as a center to see how much he could flourish there, which would be interesting because it's not as if with his frame, even though his height is unmatched, maybe Chet Holmgren could be a guy that could almost look eyeball to eyeball with him in the league. But obviously this isn't the... Rock'em, sock'em, bang down low type of NBA that we saw back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So who knows how much Wembenyama could flourish there, not just on the defensive side of the court, but also offensively. As we know, he could shoot from the perimeter, threes, etc. But this NBA season, although you've had some good storylines, and I talked about it in the past, whether it is the Oklahoma City Thunder, even the Minnesota Timberwolves for that matter, we know in the East, it's pretty much Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and the Celtics are 30-9 and nine as we approach the halfway point. Not many teams in the NBA are even at the halfway point when we take a look at the standings. Where the NHL, there are a lot of teams that have actually surpassed the halfway point of the season. But when we take a look at the NBA, there isn't really anything to sink your teeth into when it comes to anything that we can look forward to. Yes, we could get to April, the middle of April, and see where the playoff matchups lie, 7 through 10 in both conferences, and then take it from there. But right now, there isn't really anything to, I'm not going to go as far as say, jump up and down or go crazy about, but the NBA is what it is. It's the slog of a season, and the same for the NHL could be said in that matter. Now, are you going to be geeked up about Draymond Green's return to the lineup here on Martin Luther King Day later on against the Grizzlies? After serving a 12 game suspension and him coming back saying that he had to look inward and I'm paraphrasing of course but knew that he was being a detriment and hurting his team based on his behavior on the court and having been suspended twice this season already and I even talked about that briefly last week where I said will his demeanor now become a thing where he's not going to be that same chip on the shoulder back away from me, Draymond, where he's going to be a lot tamer and maybe not express how he's played throughout the course of his career, where he's going to really have to temper that because who knows if he does get in another on-court incident, it could be 20 games that he may sit out or even the playoffs for that matter. 
Is that a storyline that, yeah, I guess we would have to think about or look to, but the Warriors right now, they are about to be out to see what on a life raft because they are currently, what, 12th in the Western Conference behind the Lakers? And granted, they're just a half game behind them and a game and a half, two games and a loss behind the Rockets in the Western Conference, but are the Warriors going to click here at any point to where you would even think or even believe that they're going to make some hay out in the West to get to a conference, even semifinal for that matter? I don't see it. And like I said, even when we take a look at what's going on in the association, I understand it's a little comical when you have Coach Mike Brown of the Sacramento Kings in the postgame showing his displeasure of the referees and even mentioned that they're human and they're doing the best that they possibly can, but he's breaking out the laptop to show the local media to say, hey, this is what's gone wrong here. Or here's a play that the referees or the officials missed. And that's one that we've never seen before when you think about it. And even on the court, remember, what was it, last year in the playoffs, Pat Beverly, he took the camera from one of the cameramen there on the baseline to show the ref that they missed the call, which was stupid on Beverly's part, as we know. But to have a coach do that in the post game to kind of diagram, hey, this is what's gone on here with the officiating. And this is why... They missed these calls and maybe lost the game. Now, of course, I didn't watch the game between them and the Bucks, but is this what we're going to talk about here as we're approaching the halfway point of the NBA season? When you have to reach for stories like that, and I get it, it's funny and it's different and to have a coach do that, understood, but this is what you have to deal with when you're trying to plow through an NBA season. And I'm not going to go through the standings. We've talked about Minnesota OKC They're the top two in Denver who were second last time we spoke. Now they're back to third. The Clippers have played well as we've talked about. Lakers are floundering. The hangover from the in-season tournament that I talked about. I can't take the credit for that. I discussed that openly on Thursday's podcast. The East, like I mentioned, the top three. And there is a bit of a logjam there from three to about seven, which is good to see. But when it's all said and done, are any of those teams going to wreck havoc come postseason time whether you're Cleveland all right Miami you got to give them some dap based on their track record and obviously last year being an eight seed going all the way to the finals Indiana the Knicks Orlando has slipped here a little bit but are any of those teams going to be one that could maybe make it to a conference final can you say that right now on January 15th I get it it's way too early but when it's all said and done you think it's going to be Boston Milwaukee for a shot at the conference final to go to an NBA final And the 76ers, they got a lot of baggage for them to overcome with Nick Nurse as their coach. With Joel Embiid, they can't get past a second round. But are you going to believe in Cleveland, Indiana, the Knicks, Orlando to make a run here when it's all said and done? Probably not. And then with the NHL, I get it that the top teams in the sport, whether you're the Bruins, whether you're the Vegas Golden Knights, and teams like that, have played well, the Rangers, can't forget them, have played well pretty much from the start of the season. And the Panthers have been on the charge, although they lost the other day to snap their eight-game losing streak. And they are, for the most part, you have teams that are at 41, but you have teams that have already played 42, 43, 44 games so far this season. And when we look at the NHL, similar to the NBA, we understand it's a slog. It is a marathon, not a sprint. It is a long haul just to get to the middle of April where we can start dissecting these series and see what teams actually have a shot to get to a Stanley Cup or an NBA Final. 
And we understand that Edmonton, they have played phenomenally here. We talked about them over the course of the last few weeks, and especially on Thursday's podcast, where they not only started off 2-10 and and fired their coach, but they went through an 8-game winning streak and now in the process of a 10-game winning streak. And even with that, they are still, think about this, that they've come all the way back and they're at 39 games that they played here, so they haven't even got to the halfway point of this season. But even with them winning 10 in a row, and even with the team that's ahead of them in, in the standings and the LA Kings, they're in an eight-game losing streak. There's still one point behind them in the division, where Vegas is six points ahead of them, and in the Vancouver Canucks, who have played phenomenally well, they are 13, even 14 points ahead of the Oilers as we speak. So the Canucks, who a lot of people could have picked out of a lineup, and last week they were here in the tri-state area where they swept the Devils, Rangers, and Islanders to the tune of at least five goals in each of those three games. So who knows? Maybe the Pavel Bure, Trevor Linden, Stan Schmiel. I'm going to even go further back. Petro Skriko. How about that, Canuck fans and NHL fans? Did you fall out of your chair as I bring up those names? But the Canucks, who are currently at 61 points and have the most points in the sport. That's right. More than the Bruins, more than the Rangers, more than... Obviously, the Golden Knights and even the Winnipeg Jets, who are one point behind them overall in the NHL, leading the Central at 60 points. And although those are good stories, and although those are teams that we may not even think that could go deep into a postseason or make it to the Cup, but we all know that it is a crapshoot with the NHL, because anytime you have that hot goaltender come April, May, and June that could carry you and one good big-time goal scorer that anything could happen in a Stanley Cup playoff. But in the middle of January, where teams have overachieved, where teams have played well above what we expected or thought that they could do here in an NHL season, does anybody really care? Listen, I do because I love the sports. I love watching and following. But on a day-to-day basis, when we have the NFL that has consumed everything and coming off of a national championship with Michigan last Monday... And all the pomp and circumstance with that, with Jim Harbaugh, and whether or not the title is tainted based on the sign-stealing scandal back in October, early November. And with all the coaches last week, Belichick out in New England, Pete Carroll gone, Nick Saban retiring. Who the hell's paying attention to the NBA or NHL? And that's my point here. Because as we get to these halfway points, and I know the All-Star break for the NHL is still a couple weeks away, NBA still a month away when you think about it when it comes to their All-Star break. And by then, the NFL will just have about exited stage right. The point of this whole discussion here, does anybody really care? And I would have to think that yes, unless you're a fan of some NBA players throughout the sport and the NHL, unless you're a Dynewool NHL fan, I would have to say no. But I'm going to keep on keeping on discussing it. And again, I get it from having this podcast twice a week that when we get to Thursday, is there going to be that much to really expound on when it comes to both what's happening on the hardwood and ice? Chances are probably not, but who knows? Stranger things can and have happened. But we'll continue to plug away here. And like I said, once we get past the NFL... This is what we have. And in college basketball, do I even need to get into that? Maybe I should just segue to that right this very moment. Because just like last year and really the last couple of years when we think about it, the 
college basketball circuit, your guess is as good as mine as which teams are going to be not only just in the Final Four, but who's going to make it to the College Basketball Summit. Because we've had number ones go down here over the last couple of weeks. We've had a lot of changes and shifts there when it comes to the rankings in college basketball. And not that I followed it closely. Obviously, my eyes are on the other sports. But college basketball is going to be a part of our consciousness now that we're into conference play. But I tell you, we know that the college sport is dying with the one and dones and everybody's just going to look forward to conference championship week there in early March and then once we get a look at the brackets and we can take a look at the final 68 and to see what teams are going to go where and what's going to happen but we all know that college basketball you can pull these teams out of a hat to see who's going to be not only just in the final four but who's going to win the whole damn thing Purdue even with the big man do you think that based on what we've seen here in recent vintage how they can't even get out of the first round, even as a one seed, do you really think that they're going to have a deep run in the tournament and it's still a couple months away? I know North Carolina has had a resurgence this year after going to the national championship two years ago, where last year they just fell flat on their face. Kansas has been at the top spot, but they've taken a few steps back. Duke is hanging around there, although they've had some bad losses. And the Blue Bloods, they're still there. Kentucky is still ranked in the top 10, although they're at the bottom rung. And these teams that we know year in and year out who have not had a lot of success here, even in the last couple of years, Kentucky being one, and Duke, people still think that Mike Krzyzewski the coach there where we all know is John Shire, and I get it, I'm just joking about that. But college basketball is literally that three-week sport that we get to really four if you want to talk about the conference championships to see where these teams stack and who's on the bubble and who could go in and out, etc., but... Nobody really has a big time pulse on what's happening here because a lot of people don't care. These players, these teams, there's no camaraderie, there's no feel. Once the NFL season is over, then people start to pay attention a little bit. Unless you just love the college basketball where it's oozing out of your pores. And sadly for me, yours truly, who does this podcast, if this was 20 years ago, absolutely. In this day and age, it's tough to keep up. It really is. Not only just with the other sports that are going on, but these teams, they're just so fluid and so liquid and there should be an overabundance to follow this because it is so topsy-turvy. It is so unpredictable where if you just had the mainstays there at the top where you would just think, all right, Kansas, North Carolina, Kentucky, Duke, UCLA, blah, blah, blah. All right, yeah, fine. I understand it gets boring like baseball, Maybe not over the past year where it's always Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, this team, that team, Giants, Cubs, Cardinals. Understood. And maybe because it is unpredictable, we should gravitate and be a little bit more compelled to watch. But again, it's college basketball. It's not like you have the three or four year player that did not win a title the year before. Let's say Tim Duncan and Wake Forest who stood for four years. And I understand that was a lifetime ago, let alone a generation ago. But when you don't have the one player that's going to stay in school, that maybe coming off winning a championship at UConn that could piggyback on that to go and play next year to see if they could go back-to-back or what have you. And we understand UConn, right now, they're in the thick of things, being the number one seed in the country. But still, this is how the sport is pretty much become here over the last half decade, maybe even decade plus. And that's the only reason why I bring it up. But of course, once we get 
past the conference championships in the NFL, especially with the bye week there. We'll pay a little bit more attention to what's going on there in college basketball. Obviously, the other sports, you know, I'm going to have my fingers on the pulse. But this is what we have here now that we've started 2024. Who's paying attention with the NHL, NBA, as I just expressed. And then now college basketball, you could lump them in there because once we get past the NFL, this is what we're going to have once we get to spring training. And then obviously April, which to me is the best sports month of the year. And on top of all that, that's when we get into the first sports dead zone, as I like to talk about once the final buzzer and the confetti comes down, in this case, Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium. And then we have that dead zone from February the 12th till we'll say the beginning of March Madness. But really, once we get to the start of the baseball season, this is what we're going to have, people. So you've already been forewarned. Speaking of baseball, we have a month until pitchers and catchers. That's right, if you can believe it. And even though you've had some signings here over the past week, but baseball, they are in the wilderness. And I get it that baseball shouldn't be on anybody's consciousness now, but think about this. You had three signings, two of them notable. Marcus Stroman signs a two-year deal with the Yankees. Actually got a pay cut, because remember, when he signed with the Cubs, he signed three years, $75 million, and he opted out. I understand he's from Long Island, pitched for the Mets a couple of years back, and now comes back pretty much to a hometown discount because I'm sure he probably would have gotten more and maybe he was offered more elsewhere, but he's now part of a Yankee staff that he's going to help. I don't know if that's going to push them over the top to go along with Carlos Rodon if he could stay healthy and the reigning Cy Young Award winner in Garrett Cole. Obviously, he's going to be a help, but how much does that mean going into a season, deep into a season, and obviously October when he's going to be your third starter. And Stroman, who does have a lot of guts, and that you got to give him, and has pitched, I'm not going to say in a bunch of big games, if you want to call the World Baseball Classic when they won back in, what, 2017, I think it was. If you want to call that a big stage, as he was the MVP, I believe, off the top of my head. But have at it, Yankee fans. You got a guy that you pencil in as your third starter. He has to stay healthy. He's had a lot of injuries here, especially in the last couple of years with the Cubs and even in his brief time with the Mets, so you have to proceed with caution with him. And then the Cubs sign the left-handed pitcher, I know I'm going to butcher his name, but Shota Imanaga. So he had some good things to say in his press conference when he was introduced to the Cub media in Chicago. So let's see what the Cubs are going to do there. And speaking of which, with the Cubs, the former player and one Cody Bellinger, and that's where I'm going to go here, you still have some big-time players out on the market And nobody has even taken a sniff, let alone an iota of a rumor to where these guys are going to go. And here we are, it's already mid-January. You have a two-time and reigning National League Cy Young Award winner in Blake Snell, who I wouldn't touch myself because to me, as I've said time after time after time on this podcast, he is Scott Kazmier 2.0. He's a five-inning pitcher. He strikes out a lot of people, but he does walk the ballpark. And yes, he does have two Cy Youngs, so that does account for something. But he's not a guy that's going to give you any length in a game. He's not going to go seven innings. He's barely going to go six innings. And I understand it's baseball 2024 or 23, whatever, in the last few years where it's all about the analytics and the bullpen and you can't wear out your pitchers and third time around the lineup. I understand that garbage. But for a guy that's going to get paid top dollar, you would think he is literally a five borderline six inning pitcher. So I'm not going to pay him $250 million for the next eight years to have a guy that has had injuries, not a lot, but has had his stints on the IL, 
But again, he's going to throw 100 pitches in five innings and he's out. Cody Bellinger had a bounce back here in Chicago. I haven't heard anything as far as where he's going to go. Josh Hader, the reliever, obviously from the Padres, formerly Milwaukee Brewers, top reliever on the market. Nothing, not a peep, not a smoke signal. Matt Chapman, very good third baseman. Toronto Blue Jays, good offensive player. Has anybody heard where he's going to go to next? And these are the bigger free agents. This isn't a free agency where you've had years ago with Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. And those were two of the biggest that we've seen on the market in forever. And when did they sign? As I've said time after time on this podcast, right before spring training in late February when the position players are about to report. So who knows? I have no idea when it's going to happen. Wake me up when these guys sign because the baseball offseason, and I get it, it's been all about Otani and Yamamoto and the Juan Soto deal, which is a lot to wrap your arms around. But it's not just about that. Those stories are long gone and forgotten about when it comes to what's happening in that sport recently. You still have a lot of good free agents there on the market and nothing to be heard from as far as where they're going to go or even an inkling of what team is dangling that carrot to see if they could go and try to sign any of these players. So that's what I have there. And then lastly, the Australian Open began a couple days ago where Novak Djokovic had a little bit of a scare against an 18-year-old in his first foray in any type of Grand Slam and actually won a set against Djokovic in the second set. But he was able to survive and he won in four sets and the player that he beat there was Dino Prismic, an 18-year-old out of Croatia. And Djokovic had a lot of glowing things to say about the kid, how he was tough, how he was very surprised by his play. And rightfully so, the guy won a tiebreaker set in the second one and actually gave Djokovic a little run for his money. And then you already have a big name out on the woman's side and one Naomi Osaka. Now, I don't know if you want to give her a pass considering that she took the year off. We understand the mental health issues that she's had in the past, but even more so, had a baby over the past year, and her just trying to get back into the groove of things. She lost in the first set to Caroline Garcia, and again, I understand she's had a lot of time off, and a lot of time to reflect, and has a family, so we'll give her this one, but who knows, will we see her in the French Open there come the latter part of the spring? That remains to be seen, but for the tournament here on a whole... And she lost in straight sets, by the way. But for the tournament on a whole, it's twofold. Women's side, wide open. Men's, not so much. But to me, will we see another Djokovic-Alcaraz collision there in a final? We know no Rafael Nadal, as he had to withdraw from a hip injury just a couple of weeks ago, or really a week or so ago. And yes, we could talk about a lot of the other players, whether your name is Stefano Tsitsipas, who always seems to have the girl with the curl, who always looks good, but doesn't seem to go far or go deep in any of these tournaments. The Alexander Rublev, or excuse me, Andre Rublevs, the Alexander Zverevs of the world, guys like that, Danil Medvedev, who are very good players, but are they of that ilk with Alcaraz and Djokovic? And Djokovic has won this tournament a million times. So this is pretty much his tournament to lose. Unless Alcaraz is going to be the one guy to throw a wrinkle into that. I'm going to say it's going to be Djokovic until somebody else happens to beat him. Now with Djokovic almost, I'm not going to say almost lost because it didn't get to a fifth set. 
but maybe he took his opponent lightly. Does that mean that maybe there is a little bit of an opening for any of these other players that are going to face him? Maybe not here in this first week, but as you get deeper into the tournament, into the second week, that could find a little bit of daylight and maybe come out on top against Djokovic, who is going for his 25th Grand Slam men's singles title. I think the only guy, and Medvedev is a guy that can be game. I don't know about Rublev or Yannick Sinner or Casper Ruud or Holger Runa. I mean, those guys are good players. But on a championship level or a semifinal level, are those guys going to beat him? We've seen Medvedev do that against Djokovic in the U.S. Open a few years back. So I could say Medvedev is a very can-be game, but... Uh, so that's why I think Djokovic, to me, it's his tournament to lose based on his history there, based on his performance and what he's been able to do there. And that's all there is to it. And the women's side, wide open. We could talk about the Iga Switeks of the world or the Anjabur, Coco Goff to see if she could piggyback on what she did at the U.S. Open last summer out in Flushing Meadow. Elena Rabakina. Jessica Pagula, you know, we know Madison Keys. We know who the top-ranked women are and who's going to be able to come out on top. Arena Sabalenka is another one, of course. It's a little bit more wide open. I get it that Swiatek was probably going to be the favorite when it's all said and done. And Swiatek, who usually gets off to good starts here in the beginning of the year, and especially with the French Open as she's dominated here over the last few years. And as we get deeper into the year, it seems as if For whatever the reason, she's not at her peak best when you get to Wimbledon as well as the U.S. Open. Uh, To me, it's a toss-up there. Unlike the men's side where I think it's Djokovic, maybe Alcaraz and everybody else here. You could say Schweitzek, maybe Coco Goff. Like I said, she's ready to take her game now to the next level. To Not to say that that was a fluke to the U.S. Open. She was definitely due. It was her time. But now to really become a mainstay as one of the top two or three women's players in the world to see if she could take this tournament by storm, considering that she won on the hard surface last year at the U.S. Open. Same situation here, down under. I don't know. To me, it's a toss-up. I've had a thing for Anj Jabor winning, but she's always been the bridesmaid, never the bride. And although she has not played well here in the back half of last year and hasn't been as good as she was a couple of years ago, but who knows, maybe could this be her time? It's easy to maybe even say Coco Goff as she's going to try to see if she can ascend to that top two or three level. Switek again, pick a name out of a hat. As it is, Sabalenka is defending her title from last year, so who knows. And I'm here for it. Waiting to see how it's going to unfold, the first Grand Slam of the year. I like that it's here in January Unlike the golf where you got to wait till April for the Masters and then of course it's right in succession. April, May, June, July with Masters, PGA, US Open and the Open, the British where with tennis it's spread out a little bit where even though right out of the gate you have the tennis with the Australian Open but then you have to wait a few months for the French the latter part of May but then from May to the end of June you have Wimbledon and then after that a couple of months before you have the US Open so I like how that spread out where golf it's pretty much over and even though the golf season has begun, but you click them off one, two, three, four from the early part of spring into the middle of summer. 
And that's what I have, people. Looking forward to seeing how that's going to unfold and everything else that's happening in the world of sports. You know I got you covered as we conclude another episode. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for your contribution, taking precious minutes and time out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, you know the drill. Subscribe, rate, review. Don't me a few stars. Write a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials with a question, comment, suggestion, follow me on my YouTube channel, at JReels. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, X, J Reels, one, just a number. The old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA. As I like to say, talking sports, it's in every fiber of my being. With nothing but passion, fire, fury, energy, with my thoughts, opinions, critiques, praise, analysis, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>